This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Open the Voice Gate for December 17th, 2019. I am one of your co-hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, and I'm joined alongside, as always, Case Lowe. Case, how's it going, bud? I'm very happy to be here. There's a lot to discuss today. Uh, Dragon Gate is in a very, very interesting, I'm not going to say predicament because predicament sounds bad, but they're in a very interesting period in the company, and uh, there's no one I would rather talk about it with than Iron Mike well i'm glad that we're back here talking about because it, it is super interesting before we get into it we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find us and all the other podcasts on the voices of wrestling podcast network on the podcast platform of your choice if you just want open the voice gate stuff we have our own rss feed or you can have the entire network worth of it you can follow us on twitter the show count is at open voice gate case is at underscore in your case i'm at fuji Heya. that's like don fuji with two eyes just blasting all through this because there's a lot to talk about case so it is when i compare from like where we are now to like the last time we recorded right after gate destiny it seems like the company i like at, was going for one trajectory and completely decided to upend itself it, it's just me thinking that like okay i was i had a pretty good feel for things in November and December, everything's out the window. Is that just me, though? No, no, you're right on the money. I mean, after Final Gate especially, I have no idea where anything's going. I, I don't know what the next move is. There was some booking on the December 4th Corkin that made me go, oh, that's a little strange, but I still think this, this, and this will happen. And instead of this, this, and this happening, that, that, and that happened. And all of a sudden, after Final Gate, I'm, I'm very much intrigued by the direction things are going. I liked all of the booking decisions that were made at final gate but i don't necessarily understand any of them and i have no idea what's coming next yeah it's it's we're in a time now where we're going to cover both corkin and final gate we're just going to touch on a couple things of corkin and then we'll get really into the nitty-gritty of final gate but it's just like there there was a time period right after gate destiny that i remember tweeting out that Every championship was held by someone under the age of 30. And now you look at it and you, it's this weird mix of original Dragon Gate Trueborns alongside the the new generation. And then you even have some older guys in on the mix. And it's just kind of interesting where they've just seen the directions going towards. And it's really coming to a head tomorrow. Again, we're recording on the 17th. Tomorrow is the big end of the year Corkin. And it just kind of feels like a lot of things are kind of 
coming to a head in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. And unfortunately, we we have to record this kind of right before the final Cork and Hall of the year happens. Uh, but I will have written coverage of the final Cork and Hall. That'll be on Voices of Wrestling. Uh, that show takes place on the 18th. I would say by the 19th at the very latest, that review will be up. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you want thoughts on the Doy Darts Cork and Hall show, check out voicesofwrestling.com. I'll have a full show review with star ratings there after the show happens. Yeah. It's just a crazy time, and then pretty much Dragon Gate has like two fan appreciation shows that they usually do at the end of the year, and that's it for 2019 in Dragon Gate. So this we will come back sometime in January talking about like the first kind of shows in, in January, but this will probably be the last normal. I'm saying normal for a reason. When we wrap up the show, I'll tell you what else we have planned, but this will be the last normal Open the Voice Gate for 2019. But without any ado... We're only going to touch on this the show a little bit just because it happened just about two weeks ago. And But there are things that are worth talking about here before we get into the meat and potatoes of Final Gate. So Corkin on December 4th had an attendance of 1545. It was down from 1585. Uh, attendance in Japan has been kind of wonky across all promotions, I feel like. It might be because there is a new consumption tax put in. It could be that people are just overrunning places so much, but pretty much everyone, and this includes New Japan, have had decreased draws at Corkin this year. So it's not great that they that they have now been on a little bit of a slide this fall into winter, but it seems to be something that's going across the entire uh, wrestling landscape in Japan. So, okay, it's this Corkin this Corkin Hall show you, in a review you kind of described it as the Dragon Gate. Uh, Christmas party, but there are a couple of big moments on the show. So, so okay, so I'm just going to read over the results, and then since this is so kind of two weeks back, and then afterwards we'll talk about the big moments of it, if that sounds good with you. Absolutely. All right. So there was a exhibition match to start with the rookie Kento Kafuni. He has been on a couple of the the next shows, and he has his official debut coming up on the 22nd. He had a five minute exhibition with Kenichiro Arai. Then match one was the uh, the Mochizuki Dojo team versus the kind of assorted team of Yuki Yoshioka, Kota Minonora, Hoho Loon, and I think his last match in Dragon Gate for his current extension, his current excursion, versus Sachioka Boy, Yosuke Santa Maria, and Jimmy. Minonora penned Sa- Santa Maria in 4 minutes and 44 seconds with the German suplex hold. Match two was the cranky old vets team of Don Fuji and Gamma. Versus Hiroshi Yamato and Monday Ryu. Fuji pinned uh, Monday Ryu in 4 minutes and 36 seconds with a choke slam off the top rope. Match 3 was a trios of uh, Natural Vibes team of Ginki Horiguchi, Brother Yashi, Punch Tomonaga versus the mixed team of Masaki Mochizuki, Keisuke Akuda, and Dragon Daya. Daya got the win with a springboard Firebird Splash on Punch Tomonaga in 16 minutes and 23 seconds. Match four was a three-way tag match. The three teams were Natural Vibes, KZ, and Susumu, Maximum, Dragon Kid, and Jason Lee, RAD, Diamante, and Kazma, where Diamante Diamante penned Jason Lee in eight minutes and 18 seconds with the Vuelta Finale. Match five was an eight-person tag. It was the Torimon Generation team of Sairio, Yuzushi Kanda, Super Shisa, and Kness versus the Tri-Vanguard team of Yamato, BB Hulk, Kakator, and Kai. 
Yamato got the win in 6 minutes and 36 seconds on Ryo Saito with the Frankensteiner of the Almighty. Sixth match was one of the two special singles matches, Benkei versus Shun Skywalker. Benkei got the win in just under 12 minutes with a spear. Match 7 was a trios match that went to a no contest with maximum team of Doyoshi and Kaido Ishida versus Big R Shimizu, uh, Takashi Yoshida, and Hyo when it was a double countout. Match 8 was the uh, advertised main event, the second special singles match where there were supposed to be no seconds, and if Ultimo lost, he would be banished from Dragon Gate forever. It was Ultimo Dragon versus Ada, and Ultimo won in 17 minutes and 2 seconds when Ada looked like he revealed he stole the mask, but really it was Yoshino accidentally took it off and threw it to Ada, and that led to the bonus match, which was a trios of Ultimo and Doyoshi versus Ada and the red and green dragon masks, and green dragon or green demon mask, pardon me, won over Masato Yoshino with a pinfall after a weapon shot, and he revealed himself right afterwards to be Kaido Ishida. Okay, so after running that down case, what were your big thoughts about the show? I've really only got thoughts on two matches. Uh, the show overall, like I said, it felt like the, the Christmas, uh, it was nearing the Christmas season where everybody was, they showed up to work. You can't say they weren't trying, but they certainly weren't working as hard as they possibly possibly could have a lot of the undercard was just there none of it was really bad but a lot of it just existed and i have no strong memories of it i have no desire to ever go back and watch it it just simply existed that being said ben k versus shooting skywalker this was their second singles match this year and i am just constantly blown away by how good of a professional wrestler shun skywalker has become to me he's been one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world this year and i'm shocked that even within my circle um and you'll see in you know hopefully in just a few weeks on voicesofwrestling.com there's a a big year-end project coming up where a lot of wrestlers are going to get their due but i'm shocked to find out that even with the people that watch dragon gate even with people that know the company and that like the house style that shoot skywalk is liked by many but not necessarily adored in the way that i think he deserves to be because this was yet another singles match where I thought Skywalker was just on another level. And Ben K was great with him. But every time I watch Skywalker, I'm blown away by the innovation. I'm blown away by the way that he continues to push himself. I'm, I think this is a really, really great in-ring year. And I think Shun Skywalker's 2019 is not going to go down in history as one of those historically great you know, Flair in 89, Okada 2017. It's, it's nowhere near those. I don't even want to necessarily compare to those years. But when we're talking about a year in a vacuum, Shun Skywalker's 2019 has become a year. It, it is something that I will remember. There are many points throughout the timeline of 2019 where Shun Skywalker has entered the ring and has delivered a great match. And this Ben K match was just another one. And, and like I've said all year, the thing that's really taken Shun Skywalker to the next level, because for so long, you know, I mean, we joked about it forever. For so long, the Skywalker formula was he would be in these six or eight man tag matches. He would do his running boot. He would do his moonsault to the floor, which looked amazing every single time. And that was kind of it. And we saw a lot of that. And we never really saw him take that next step until this year at the start of the year when Dragon Gate did the rookie rankings tournament. And ever since then, he's added a physicality to his matches that is different than what we're seeing in a lot of professional wrestling 
Skywalker's matches have a totally different style, a totally different pace, and a totally different physicality than what we're used to. And that is what is so impressive about Shun Skywalker to me. And I think it all came to a head in this match where you had Skywalker wrestling the Open the Dreamgate champion, non-title match. These two are generational pairs. They seem like friends in and out of the ring. And they killed it. I love this match. I won four stars on it because it was so short. But man, I, I was really, really impressed with what Skywalker did here. Yeah, and I keep on going back to when we would joke about him kind of having a Hayabusa quality where you think things are going to go off the rails, but at the last moment he's able to pull himself back on it. There, He's now just this complete wrestler who can pretty much do it all, and I think that's something that's really astounding about him is that over the last 18 months, I would say he's just progressed and progressed, and he's become one of the more interesting people in the promotion just because... Yes, he will always have his flying maneuvers. Yes, he now has a bit of size to him so he can do some power moves. But this match was basically a slugfest between two people who were sworn partners for most of this year in frustration getting to the end of them, and they just kind of hauled off against them. And for about 12 minutes, it just was an incredible just... Like, I don't even want to call it a sprint because this was one of the few Dragon Gate matches that felt like an out-and-out out fight. And that's something that you that I think we've been able to see throughout Bane K's Open the Dreamgate reign was that he brought the kind of, I, I don't know, say, like humanity or just, like, pulls you into this, like, as a reality versus watching a sporting exposition. And this was just an incredible one. There was, like, a great level of urgency and there's like this like little things like Shun going for his top rope moonsault, but the thing is, is that uh, Benkei saw it coming, so he put his fists up. So when so when Shun came down on it, it was not a clean splash. Instead, he was getting his fists into the stomach, and I, just things like that made this really really special. And it kind of shows you from where these guys are, from where they were. And I go back to this match probably about once an episode, but the uh, 2016. Uh, veterans versus rookies match where they were just kids out there and you look at how shun skywalker was then in his dopey costume and mask and then you look at him now and he's just he looks like a star he wrestles like a star and he's someone that with what's happened with him since then i don't think that there's going to be any question that he will be a big star for the promotion going forward i never would have imagined that skywalker would have progressed the way he did I always knew he'd be a fun act. I, I kind of figured from his debut onwards that he would be someone that could be relevant and interesting for a long time in his career. And I looked at him as maybe a Genki Horiguchi equivalent. It's not just the fringe that made that comparison, but I, I kind of looked at that as his ceiling. But over the past year, it's become very obvious to me that Skywalker has main event Dreamgate-level talent. And I really don't think that's that hot of a take. I mean, I think he is as good in the ring as anyone in this company. And his character direction is confusing to me right now. I can't totally figure it out. I'm afraid by the end of it, I'm not going to really like the way it turns out. But talent-wise, he is just as talented as anybody on this roster right now. I'm really, really impressed with the year Shooting Skywalker's had. Yeah, and it's something that, as you said, Voices Wrestling will have like the big matches of the year poll, and it's going to be a little disappointing because I know I probably have in my top 10 matches this year, two or three of them might have Shun Skywalker in it, but it might just be a few of us who are submitting matches 
for him when he's really put together an incredible complete year. And he did this in a year where he had title matches, but he never won a title. He never The only tournament he won was kind of a loose tournament that they did so people would have something to do at the beginning of the year. But, I mean, that's really it. So, But he's just been remarkable all throughout. And, you know, this was just another thing where this promotion has positioned themselves for these two guys who have a combined six years of ring experience, went out there, had a unique match that was comfortably their style of match. It wasn't like they were trying to imitate other people in the roster. They did something that was unique to themselves. And I walked away with this going like, okay, this match was a special match, and it's a match that... I don't know if I'm going to remember it as much as I remember that rookies match from 2016 or the Yamamura versus Shimizu match from 2017, but it just was a very unique and special match. I think that's something that's worth going out of your way to watch, even if you aren't a regular Dragon Gate fan. Well, and one more point before I move on to the main event, because I have a lot of a lot of thoughts on that as well, but if you look at Skywalker's year, he's been so innovative in the way he wrestles, but he's having these distinct matches whether it be the Pac Dreamgate Challenge match, which I think is some of the best storytelling you will find in wrestling all year. And as the year has gone on, and I've kept one eye on the North American wrestling scene, because most of it bothers me, but I still have to pay attention to it, I have become so annoyed with the misconceptions of the Dreamgate style and the misconceptions of other companies' house styles. And when I say other companies, I'm mainly referring to WWE and this idea that they tell stories and that other companies don't. There has not been a story told in WWE this year that has matched the Shun Skywalker versus Pac story that was told during that Dreamgate match in March. There was simply just, it simply was not better in ring storytelling. You look at the Moches from Hatred, a blood feud starting right there. Those two beat the shit out of each other, and it was beautiful. And then you have Shun Skywalker versus KZ at Kobe World, uh, a spot fest if you want to call it that. I call it more of a showcase match than anything. And all throughout the year, every match feels a little bit different. He's adding his own unique wrinkles to every match. And I think the world of him, I think he is not my pick for most outstanding wrestler this year, but I think he's a candidate for most outstanding wrestler this year. And I don't think that's out, that outlandish to say. No, no, he would be on my short list for sure. And that's not and and that's not also holding back for it that I think he is probably one of the favorites if someone watches enough throughout the world for being like the most improved wrestler of the year so i'm totally on board with you and i mean i keep on going back to that mochizuki match like i know how strongly you feel about the pack title challenge but that mochizuki match at king of gate was really something unique of itself and he's pretty much made a whole year of doing things unique unto himself and this was probably the cap of his year as we'll get into this later but it was a perfect match for him to end 2019 if that was the case absolutely Okay, so you said yeah, the other big match that you wanted to talk about, of course, was the other special singles match. This was the Ada versus Ultimo Dragon match with the stipulation of no seconds, and if Ultimo lost, he would be banished from Dragon Gate altogether. And I have to say that this is a match that you would see a lot more of this match in like AAA or just in general a lucha based comp- company because this felt more at least had a vibe of an apuestas match much more than the apuestas match that ada had last year against dragon kid in my opinion yeah this match happened two weeks ago and i still can't make up my mind on how i feel about this match i know i really liked it but there were points when i was watching this match where i felt like i was watching something truly great and it's because that style was executed to such a 
a perfect extent. I mean, this is the type of match that I didn't know Ultimo Dragon still had in him, and I didn't know that Ata had the skills capable of something like this. But, you know, you said, you know, it was like an Aplestis match. I got weird, like, late 80s Crockett vibes out of it. I mean, it was so old school and simple and traditional. It's funny, you know, we just talked about the Ben K. Skywalker match, which felt like this new wave of wrestling, even if they're still doing big moves and it's, it's, it might on the surface look like just another match. I've watched enough Skywalker this year to realize that he's doing something truly different. This match was a match out of a time capsule. I mean, I've never seen a match in Dragon Gate worked in this style to this extent. And it reminded me, and I don't, Mike, I don't know if you remember this match or not, but the Minoru Suzuki versus Yoshihiro Takayama GHC title defense from a few years ago. Do you have any memory of that match? I was not following No at the time. I know this match happened because this was during uh, Minoru Suzuki's invasion and like Takayama tried to stand for the company, but I have no other frame of reference other than that. Okay, well, lo- let me tell you right now, you weren't missing much. Okay, <laughs> I didn't think I was. That being said... This Minoru Suzuki, <laughs> yeah, nope, you made the right decision. I watched a lot of Noah shows I did not want to watch. Um, but this Minoru Suzuki Yoshihiro Takayama match, I, it's so weird and backwards to compare it to Ata versus Osmo Dragon. But I had the same feeling watching it, where Suzuki versus Takayama was so painfully simple, and it was just two guys punching each other as hard as they could. And I was so sucked in and so emotionally invested in this match that I wasn't necessarily looking forward to when I first entered the match. Same thing with Ultimo Dragon vs. Ata. I really wasn't excited about this. And then they worked it in this slow, methodical way that just sucked me in. And I'm okay with the non-finish here because I thought the the timing of the Yoshino mask pull was unbelievable i keep on watching that gift back i can't believe they pulled it off the way it did because when i first saw the gift it was before i saw the match and i thought yoshino pulled the mask off i didn't even realize that Ata was involved at all it was beautifully executed so in the in the review i gave this match three and three quarters but as the, this is one of those matches that's going to stick with me and i i'm not going to bore anybody with star rating theory talk but this is one of the few times, in my opinion, where I think the star rating system fails because I recognize that this was a great match, but on a personal level and being realistic in the in the modern scale of professional wrestling, when you have your Will Ospreys and your Shun Skywalkers consistently killing it and raising the bar, this wasn't that, but hot damn, this was a great match, and I think it's funny that the people that would enjoy this match most are the people that have ridden off Dragon Gate for years and have a misconception about what the company actually Yes. Yeah, and the the big thing about the vibe of this match is I know you were referring to like the Noah match, like Lucha Puestas, Memphis. This is the kind of match and the kind of story that the really bad NWA Power show would be perfect to have this kind of storyline going on with this and this kind of feud and this kind of like post match angle and all this. This felt straight out of what Crockett was. So I thought like when you said that this was like a very Crockett match, I think you were dead on with that and just like the mask ripping was tremendous and just was a different kind of match from ultimo when we've been for like the last five months and i don't think it's unfair to say somewhat bored of ultimo's kind of the ultimo trios match we have this which was its own unique thing and i would argue that this was the most ada felt like a number one heel in the promotion was during this match and I felt like what happened afterwards, and then the uh, impromptu trios match, and then Kaido Ishida being revealed as the green mask demon was just 
excellent storytelling. It's something that they did it at such a level that like my only frustration is I wish that the crowd was even more into it because I was really digging it. Like this is a match where star ratings really don't matter because it was just such an emotional moment. And it was a great kind of thing where you where like you take a step back and you're like, okay, Ada found his generational partner in Kaido Ishida. I mean, people forget Kaido Ishida has been wrestling since 2014. So, I mean, there is some overlap there. But at the same time, they, they now have like a focus thing and adding in Ishida completely changes the complexion of RED and it makes the, the promotion a lot more interesting. And I didn't think that something that Ultimo Dragon would do at the tail end of this year would be that extra fuel to the fire, but here we are. Mike, I'm not being condescending when I say this to people that might take it as such, but if this Ultimo Dragon versus Ata match would have happened on NWA Power, people would be losing their minds. I mean, this, this would this if this happened on NWA Power, it would finish strongly in our Voices of Wrestling match of the year poll. I truly, truly believe that. And there's no racial implications at stake. People aren't are not watching this match because it's two Japanese guys. I think people aren't watching it because it's Dragon Gate and people don't understand what the company is now. But if this match happened on that studio show at NWA Power, Mike, people would be losing their minds. The Segunda Kata's of the world. And granted, I I like the Segunda Kata guys. I think people think I don't, but really I'm just fascinated by them and, and the way they stand by some of their opinions. But I, I'm, I'm going to send this to the Segunda Kata guys because people would be shocked at this match if it happened on NWA Power. They would say this is what professional wrestling should be, and it would generate a talking point for two or three days in our bubble of of the wrestling discourse. I mean, I truly, truly believe that because it really felt like something not from 2019. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's the great way to put it. So what are your thoughts? I kind of give my opinion right there, but what were your thoughts on the big turn and reveal of Ishida as the green mass demon. I am always going to be in favor of an impromptu main event. I think that is a great angle. I wish more companies would utilize it, especially companies that aren't on TV that have not necessarily unlimited time to play with, but have some show struck play with. I think the impromptu main event is great. I think the timing of the main event was great. I love that it only went four minutes. And I thought the unveiling of Kaito Ishida as a heel was awesome. I think it works with the booking. I think it's, we've seen now, we've seen one match, which was enough proof for us that Kaito Ishida is a terrific heel, which we all should have seen coming. I pointed that I didn't see this Ishida turn happening, but I, it caught me by surprise. But now that it's happened, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's one of those things that, of course, being kind of, I always call him like an aloof prick in Maximum, that is something very easy to translate to being an out-and-out dickhead. So, like, I'm all aboard Kaito Ishida as this. And as I said earlier, as I just said before, having adding him to RED and getting to a point that in Final Gate, there was a legitimate chance that RED was looking like that it was going to basically be the dominant stable in the company. It just made perfect sense. And this is like, right now, I feel like RED is at the best case place they've been since PAC left. And it just makes so perfect sense. That four-minute match really felt more like a prolonged angle, and I was totally okay with it. And there was like moments like Hio dragging Ultimo Dragon all the way up to the top of the stairs as he wanted to make sure that the demons were going to get a chance on Doyoshi. So I thought that this was just exquisitely done, and I felt like that this was a great moment that on a show that really everyone was just kind of in anticipation for, the, the darts being thrown, I thought that this was a very special kind of 
end of show angle before you got into the doy darts part of it. Absolutely. Uh, a middle of the road cork in, but a really memorable match, a really great angle. And then one great match in Ben K versus Shun Skywalker. Yeah. And one other thing happened on the show that I want to touch is just because rewatching the show today, it amused me so much. Uh, Dragon Daya turning down Mochizuki Dojo because he's a light eater and he feels like that they train so much and he likes sleeping and doing it in the most polite fashion ever was one of the funniest moments I've seen in a wrestling ring this year and it was done with such a way that you walked away going oh Dragon Daya he wasn't being rude he's just a very sweet boy who's dedicated to Dragon Kid and he's just he he knows who he is as a person and he did not want to insult Misaki Mochizuki I just thought that that was hilarious and I was still cackling about it the third time I watched this Oh, it was great. It's uh, it's so much better than any of the irony wrestling we we see in the North American scene because this is actually funny and it had a purpose. It was great, and I'm all about this Dragon Daya push that's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, and you know he's someone that when I talk about most improved wrestlers of the year, I've been someone who's been hard on the guy. He's put it together over the last few months, and it's it's gonna be exciting to see where he goes in 2020. So, any other thoughts before we get into Final Gate? Well, let's get to Final Gate and uh. Let's start at this main event. Right. So just before we get into it, it was on December 15th. It was at the Fukuoka Kokosai Center, and attendance was announced as a sellout at 32.89. This was significantly down from last year, which was 37.46, and that was called a super no vacancy sellout. Uh, One thing before we get into the main event, if you are someone who's been dipping your toe in the waters and you're just kind of confused about dragon gate and you think you're kind of overwhelmed by it get this show and watch the english version because lenny leonard and larry dallas had probably the call of the year throughout this entire show they were excellent here well let's let's talk about them right mm-hmm. now because and we've been very transparent about it for the first two shows that larry dallas has done and then the first one that lenny leonard did last month that we provided notes for them uh, and we were very involved or i guess i should say involved to an extent um over just their research and, and what they were going to expect, and we helped them out a lot with those first two shows. We provided no notes for Final Gate. Uh, I, I it wasn't anything intentional. I know for myself, I I just I did not have time to sit down and help out Larry and Lenny with what they had going on. Mike, I don't know about you because it was it was something that I knew I couldn't do, so it was never discussed. And and they went out there and they just did such a great job. And I'm transparent because if they weren't doing a great job. I would let them know. It's I, I've been uh, open to criticizing Larry Dallas publicly in the past, but Larry is a lot of things. But Larry really, really cares about doing a good job. And quite honestly, it's awesome to see. And I have the utmost respect for the way he's handling himself and, and how seriously he's taking this position because he wants to see Drangate expand into the West and he wants them to become a major player in that scene. And I think that's awesome. I obviously support that. Lenny Leonard is the best play-by-play man in wrestling. I said that for years when I was watching every single Evolve show, even when no one was watching Evolve, and then when everybody was watching Evolve, and now I'm not even watching Evolve. No one is watching Evolve. But Lenny Leonard is the best play-by-play man in wrestling. And these two did such a tremendous job on this show. They had some lines on the undercard that I just thought were genuinely hilarious. I really like the chemistry they have. And then once the business end of the card begins, they are all business. They are so serious. And they give the product 
just an extra layer that I didn't know I needed in my Dragon Gate viewing. I was very concerned when they first brought in the English common commentary that even if the commentary was good, I wouldn't enjoy it because I've been watching Dragon Gate for my entire time as a fan in Japanese commentary. But I, I'm glad to be wrong because Lenny and Larry did such a good job. Um, I, I will say this. They did not know the finish of the main event uh, as it was happening. They, they did not get the match results, at least for this match. I don't know about for the rest of the card. But everything you hear them calling was 100% genuine. They were completely sucked into the match, and they had no idea that by the end of it, we were going to have a new Open the Dreamgate champion. Yeah, it, it was an outstanding call. I've talked with some of them since then. And the biggest way to show support, because Dragon Gate wants to do this for, forward, is... Watch the shows in the English because they'll get the numbers saying, okay, we've had so many people watch this because there are plans going forward to greatly expand the English language presence. But the best way to show that you want this is to watch the streams, tweet about it in English. And because what Dragon Gate has to do, and I'm not going to peel back of the curtain so much, is that all this, all the people watching it in English, all the people talking about it from Western Twitter accounts or just like engagement is stuff that they could use to prove this is worth it. And Case and I have been open in the past about our feelings about the Dragon Gate Network, but this is, if you're someone who want, who's like towing your line about this and you kind of end up like with this, there are some really awesome things that could be potentially happening with the Dragon Gate Network for Western audiences, but you have to show that you're interested and that this is something that they could build to do. And I, I think I say that without kind of going too deep into the weeds and things I shouldn't be talking about or I'll get some angry DMs later. But yeah, like they did an incredible job. They have great chemistry. And the way that they called this open the Dreamgate match between Naruki Doi and Benkei was something special. As Case said, we have a new open the Dreamgate champion as Benkei fell in his fourth defense and Naruki Doi starts his second reign as Open the Dreamgate champion. He is the 30th Open the Dreamgate champion. And interestingly enough, he we leave the 2010s with him as champion, and we started the 2010s with him as champion. So it was 24 minutes and 6 seconds, and Naruki Doi unsealed the muscular bomb for the first time since he hit it on Ada. So it was Ada, I think, in 2013. They nicely showed that in the preview video, video for this. So... I love this match. I went four and a half stars. I mentioned on Twitter that I think personally for like my personal itches, I like the uh, Mochizuki tile defense at Corkin a bit more, but that's also because how I regard Misaki Mochizuki. But I felt like that this was an incredible match and it was like Benkei did not disappoint in any match this tile reign. And it's going to be an interesting new, new world in Dragon Gate as they close the door to, uh, to the first Benkei reign. And then they open the door to a surprising Naruki Doi second title reign. So, Case, I gave my thoughts. What are yours on this main event? I think in ring-wise, we have almost identical thoughts. I gave it four and a half, two. I preferred the Mochizuki defense just on my own personal taste. But this match had some really incredible stuff in it. I mean, the Bakatari sliding kick counter uh, from Ben K. Spear is one of the craziest spots I've ever seen. And we've talked before about... First of all, how great Ben K. Spear is, but more importantly, how great the counters to Ben K. Spears have been. And this Bakhtari sliding kick is now at the top of the list. One of the best counters I've ever seen. One of the best moves I've ever seen. It was unbelievable the way Doi hit that. 
that. Um, as for the result, I'm stunned. Uh, I said in the preview on VoicesOfWrestling.com that this was the one Ben K defense that I was fully confident in him retaining because I thought there was a chance he could lose to Yamato. I thought there was a chance he could lose to Yoshino. And I thought there was a chance he could lose to Mochizuki. Never in a million years did I expect him to lose to Naruki Doi. Yeah, I think I was the only one who said, okay, this is the one time I could see them changing the title belt on it. And I still thought of it still as ultimately not a coin flip scenario. I just thought that, okay, he was going to beat Mochizuki. There was no question there. Uh, Yoshino, I felt like he was going to get the win back there. The Yamato title chance, I mean, they like having zero defense first champions, so I couldn't take that out of my mind. But this one, I was like, okay, with the way that they're building it and with the state of maximum right now and with how Naruki Doi was either eight or seven title challenges or title matches since he won officially the Dreamgate title match, I couldn't discount it out of my mind. But I still was kind of stunned. And for like Naruki Doi, the general emotion he showed on his face after winning this match was something like really touching. Because this was a guy who constantly was, he currently had the longest streak of unsuccessful title challenges. And he ended the year with this after Maximum, when Kaido Ishida left, like for those, for that two week period, Maximum was pretty much dead. Like, I feel like it's fair to say there was four guys and no one had any titles. And it was more realistically when we'd be talking about, so, okay, it's when they're going to put down Maximum now. It looks like it's about time to put down Maximum. Now we don't know now. And that's not to say, like, we haven't really gotten to this. This was a great first title reign for someone who's going to be the cornerstone of the company going into the 2020s. And I feel like that, if anything, like this... Sh- oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just... It, there There should be no discourse on whether or not this Ben K reign was a failure or not. It was a complete success. In ring-wise, uh, attendance-wise, the, the Ben K reign was a positive one from every aspect. I just never would have imagined it would have ended as soon as it did. Right, yeah, like that's the thing is, I could have seen this be one of the year-long reigns that could have happened, but if this was the stopping point, we'll, I think ultimately we will have to judge on how Naruki Doi's reign is in 2020, but it makes sense, it's just shocking. So what I want to ask you from that is, where do, where do you think Doi falls historically now? Because... I have a real hard time rating Doi in a lot of different aspects. You know, in 2016, the Pro Wrestling Only message board did the Greatest Wrestler Ever project where you ranked your 100 greatest wrestlers. I watched more tape for that than I care to admit. I watched wrestling that I didn't want to watch, that I will never watch again, that I did not enjoy. But I I came away from it truly appreciating the Dragon Gate style even more and more. And I think other than maybe Alan Forel, who... Uh, has been right all along in all of Alan's opinions, and PWO consistently told him he was wrong, but his time has played out. Uh, Alan's proven to be right. That is a discussion for another day. That is just something that still bothers me deep down inside. But the point is, when I was doing that project, I had a lot of Dragon Gate guys on my list because watching all of that footage, and granted, part of it is personal taste, but I truly believe that Dragon Gate is just wrestling a superior style of wrestling. But Naruki Doi was not on my list of the 100 greatest wrestlers of all time. And I never really even considered him. And historically, I just have a hard time now that this Dreamgate Dream Gate reign is happening. And I will have a better picture of it when the Dreamgate reign ends. So we'll know how exactly this turned out. But it's really quite the career of being bottom of the totem pole in Torimon to having one of the most exciting turns ever at the start 
sort of Dragon Gate, the start of 2005. He's just done a lot of great things. But I don't know if one thing is going to stick out as this was Naruki Doi's apex. I don't know what his, to steal a phrase from Bill Simmons, I don't know what Naruki Doi's apex mountain is, but I'm starting to think that this moment might be the one. Yeah, because I might be completely wrong in his age, but he's either 39 or 38. He's someone that, as you said, in T2P, he was considered one of the lower position people. Up until Blood Generation, he was more often than not a lost post. He had a fucking baseball gimmick, folks. Like, that's how, like, in a time period where people were getting, like, more and more serious gimmicks in the Dragon System, they had him be a baseball player because his last name was Doi, and there's a famous Yomamuri Giants player with the last name Doi as well. So, like, his first 18 years of his career went in one trajectory, and I feel like, like, I feel like we have to, before we address the big elf in the room, being his first title reign, my big thought about Nuriki Doi up until this, and this possibly being his mountaintop, to steal a phrase of the, uh, from NWA Power, I think that I always thought of him as the premier tag team wrestler, you know? Like, he was someone that was in Doyoshi, which is, if not the single tag team on Dragon Gate's Mount Rushmore, it is the most prominent one. And then also, my favorite tag team, Doi, Doi and Yamato from Mad Blanky into Berserk. But now, as you say, it's going to be interesting to see what his apex is going to be. Like, is this truly his mountaintop? Because at one time after he turned face and left for Zurich and before the formation of Maximum, when it was kind of like Doi Yoshigun, it felt like that he was, the crowd was more behind him then than now. But he's always been someone that the crowd has liked since pretty much his most recent heel turn. Like, he was always kind of the one that the heel, he was the heel that everyone liked. But now it's just like, okay. Where do they go from here with him? Because he's someone that has had these title challenges, but it's been a long time since he faced Yamato. It was 2016 when he faced Yamato, and then uh, Dead or Alive 2017, the cage match. Uh, uh, Mochizuki, I can't even remember if he ever had a title challenge against Mochizuki off the top of my head. Yoshino, of course, he faced Yoshino last year at Dangerous Gate, but there's just all these like fresh matchups available for him. And... It's, it's interesting to contrast this because I, I said we need to talk about this beforehand. Naruki Doi's first title run was not regarded very well at the time. And luckily, I think history and how people watch Dragon Gate has changed because it was the longest title reign of Dragon Gate history at that time. Had the most dream key defenses at the time. He faced off against fucking Aki Bono, one of the worst Dream Gate matches not involving Cyber Kong. Uh, one of the worst Dreamgate matches involving Cyber Kong. I mean, that match is is really bad. <laughs> garbage. Yeah, it's garbage. And then the Koji Kanemoto title defense, which I liked. But it's interesting because that's what we have to refer back to. So, Case, I know you're someone who's watched a lot of his tape. What were your thoughts of his first title run? Yeah, I'm look- looking at the, the list now, and I think I've seen all of these matches but two. Uh, so he, he wins the title from Shingo at Final Gate 2008. I don't really love that match. No. Uh, he's got a 27-minute defense against Taku Iwasa. Yeah, that's, I remember that match. I, I like Taku Iwasa. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I need 27 minutes of Taku Iwasa. That sounds like a long match. 
it was one of the things where this was when Kamikaze was formed and Taku Iwasa was trying to become a top flight wrestler. So everyone was like, oh, he should go for the Dreamgate. And that became a big angle. And he had like this big match that it was okay. Like I might be the, the Western fans' biggest Taku Iwasa fan, but it's not worth going out of your way for. Add to the Kanimoto match, to the Akabono match versus Masada Yoshino. Uh, he headlines Kobe in a Dreamgate versus Bravegate match uh, against Shima and wins that. I think that's one of the weakest Kobe World Main events there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a very long match against Susumu Yokozuka for the Dreamgate match uh, for the Dreamgate title, which I actually I believe Lenny Leonard did English commentary on that match for a bonus DVD on an early Dreamgate USA release. If I remember correctly, it was Dreamgate USA, not. Upright. It was the show with uh, Davy Richards versus Mochizuki. It happened in Chicago. I hate that I know that much. I don't remember the show name, but I already know I know too much. I believe Lenny Leonard did English commentary for that. Uh, there's a BB Hulk match, which I don't like that much. A 30-minute Magnitude Kishiwada defense, which I haven't seen, but it sounds awful. And then a great Yamato versus Joy match where Yamato wins the title. So that... That Dreamgate reign was not good. A lot of long, bad matches. And I just hope that this current reign uh, resembles none of what that first reign did. Yeah, but and I think the one thing that's more encouraging that we can say is Dragon Gate doesn't do outsider challenges anymore. That was a big thing for the first five years of the promotion is that... Yeah, that'll be a big help. Mm-hmm. Like, you would have, like, Juice and Thunder Liger, who's about to retire, is a former Open the Dreamgate champion. Like, he defeated Don Fuji for the belt. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting because you, you like, talk about those matches, and the only people that are really around now are Susumi Yokosuka and Yamato from his first title reign. So, I mean, now we can see him defending against uh, potentially maybe whoever's up with Shun Skywalker, he'll be getting another defense, and all the other people who I mentioned. So, it's an interesting title reign, and it will... It's going to be the, like, as you said, like, this will be the one that I think defines his legacy as a wrestler in Dragon Absolutely. I, I completely agree. That's all I've got on the main event. I, it was a great match. I recommend everybody watch it. Four and a half stars is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, if you are, I, I, everyone I, I've talked to that was in the building says it's a five star match easily. On tape, it came across as four and a half, but also, and we'll discuss it kind of when we go big picture. But this was a weird show that at times it was very hard for me to get into. Uh, so I give it four and a half on the first watch. Yeah, this was, uh, I, uh, I'm trying to think if we want to go big picture now before we go down the rest of the card, because that is a good point. This was a very weird card. I don't want to say weird in a negative way. It just was, it's just like weird in that, like, as I said earlier, like it seemed like it was going on one course, but this was then basically going completely in the opposite, not an opposite direction, but going completely in a different direction. So it's something that like this match by itself was outstanding, but the overall card had a lot of interesting stuff. Nothing that I would call outright bad. Like, everything on the on the show was either decent to very good, but this was easily the standalone match of the night. Yeah, well, let's do this. Let's. Uh, I'll give my big picture thoughts. You can add to that if you want to, and then let's go opener through Twin Gate match from there, because I think it will put the show into a better context. Um, as for me, big picture... There was uh, just a pace to this show and the way the booking happened with the way these matches played out that just I that I could never get going with this show. I never felt like there was a strong momentum. I wanted one match after another after another, and it just seemed like every time things picked up, the next match would be a little bit of a letdown or the next match would go a little long. 
And by the time I got to the Dreamgate, it was just like, oh, man, all right, this show has been a lot. And, th- and this show was a lot in a good way. But by the time I got to the Dreamgate, I was just like, oh, man, all right, here we go. All right, one more match because I, I could never get into a rhythm with this show. But as a whole, there were two great matches, a lot of really fun stuff in between. Uh, so I give it a thumbs up even before we kind of break it down in smaller pieces. Yeah, absolutely. This is a thumbs up show. I probably liked Kobe World more than this one, but I think I like this show top to bottom a bit more maybe than Dangerous Gate and Gate of Destiny personally. And it, 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 I think you're absolutely right when you say that this this was a an unrelenting show. It's about four hours, and there's not a lot of fat to the show, so it's something that, like, that's why I say, like, if you're wanting to, like, get into Dragon Gate, this is the show to get in on because everything happened. <laughs> like, for lack of better words, everything happened here, Case. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it just is, like, this is, like, a snapshot show that when we, like, talk about 2019, this show is the snapshot of what 2019 in Dragon Gate was. And it's a lot. There are some exceptional things. There are some funny things. There are some things that have you scratch your head but at the end of the day i i give it an un uh, unreserved thumbs up with it and those are i guess were my big pictures thoughts and it set the stage for what can be a very interesting 2020 okay yeah let's uh let's go from the opener now is that is that what is that what you're cool with absolutely so the opener was a tribe vanguard versus mochizuki dojo match where it was the Tri Vanguard team of Kai and Kagatora versus Yuki Yoshioka and Kisuke Akuda. Yoshioka got the win in 9 minutes and 12 seconds on Kagatora with his reversal Samson flash pen. I thought that this was a fun opener. I really enjoyed everything about it. I think, like, talking about Larry and Lenny, there was a great call about when Okuda went for the danger zone, the his uh, move of the year, Hurricane Rana in- into the... Uh, arm triangle that was incredible call and i thought this was a very fun opener i feel like that it definitely like puts you in a frame of mind that where is what's going to be going on with these mochizuki dojo kids as we move on to 2020 yeah this match was weirdly good i mean i i really really enjoyed this for a dragon gate opener i was joking with somebody earlier this week that i feel like every spark and hall I write the same exact review for the opening match. I just plug in different names. But this was not like an opening match at all. I mean, this really got going and told a story. And Yuki Yoshioka, and you mentioned it on Twitter, but Yuki Yoshioka is approaching scary good levels for how little he is used and how few prominent positions he's been in. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because he's young in his career and he has plenty of time to get there. But every single time I watch Yuki Yoshioka, I just look at him and I think this guy is going to have an incredible, incredible career. And this was a three and a half star match in the opener. I love this. Yeah, like Yoshioka, like I originally was like, oh, he might be like a Kinky Horikuchi, like fun guy on the undercards. But he probably is like the next Asumu Yokosuka that this company has. And it just was so great to see him. And I mean, again, he really... He debuted in 2016, but he really only got himself going in 2017 because he had a pretty significant injury. But he's someone that you, like, you watch in this match, and maybe the only thing holding him back is that we haven't seen his charisma so much. But everything else with him, like his projection, like his uh, intangibles, his uh, his ability, and like his wrestling mind is incredible. And it just was a really fun opener. Okuda was his usual like most interesting guy in wrestling. Kai, who has been like low key one of the better tag team workers in Dragon Gate this year, 
I think that's fair to say. Had another fun match of Kagatora here. And Kagatora, who is someone who is like now a complete afterthought, ended up like being pulled into a match when he's someone that will often take matches off if he's not doing anything. So I think that this was a great opener. And unless you have any other thoughts, let's let's see how long it's going to take us to talk about this battle royal. Yeah, let's uh, start the clock. All right. All right. It is 4.59 on my clock right now. It was a 10-man battle royal. It had Super Shisa, Kness, Sachioko Boy, Punch Tomonaga, Yosuke Santa Maria, Brother Yashi, Kota Minenora, Problem Dragon Monde Ryu, Oji Shiba, and Jimmy. And the winner of the match was Kota Minenora in 7 minutes and 20 seconds with the German suplex hold. And it was a Dragon System Battle Royal. Yeah, Kota Minora is very good, and that is my only take on the match. Yep, he had a really great suplex where he pretty much dumped Punch Tominaga to end the match. Like, really, the most amusing thing about this was uh, Lenny and Larry's kind of commentary, them just, like, cracking jokes the entire time. And that's all I have to say about it. So I think we did this in under 45 seconds, Case. That's what I like to hear. Match number three, let's go. All right, match number three, it had... It was shorter than match number two, but it had a lot of it had something for us to sink our teeth into. It was the special singles match of Cosmo Sakamoto versus Dragon Daya. And Dragon Daya got the surprising win after only four minutes and three seconds with a Casadora hold. I loved it. It was there's a few things I like more than just a very compressed sprint. And this was a great one. There was a brutal post bomb. It was a really fun story of Dragon Daya with this guy who is one of the better bases in wrestling, just using him as a jungle gym, trying to look for a flash pin hold and finding it and getting the win. I can't say enough about how much I love this match. It was a great little sprint. Yeah, Dragon Daya is quickly becoming a very good wrestler. And this match was there for a reason. The result was obvious, which is funny because six months ago, the result would be obvious. It would be Kazuma Sakamoto killing Dragon Daya, but we've seen the way he's progressed in a month and a half, and I, as soon as I saw this match, I, I knew this is the way it would play out. I didn't expect the match to be as short as it was. I was I, I thought the finish was very exciting because I did not see it coming. Uh, simple match, three stars for me. Dragon Daya has to be in line for a Brave Gate shot. If not at the January or February cork, and then you'd have to think it's coming up at uh, Champion Gate in March. I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to prolong it that much, but uh, he's had big wins and big singles matches and big tag matches now. He's got to be getting a title shot sooner or later. Yeah, I feel like his, because I'm with you, I think that he is someone that if this was wins and losses like AEW, he should be in line for a Brave Gate shot. And if I was going to put a place back when I think they have a Hakata double shot coming up in, in February, I could see that Brave Gate match being like the post-intermission match on one of those shows. So I could totally see that coming. I think that's, I think his progression has been great. He's he has proved me wrong. I am not going to say anything negative about Dragon Die anymore. I thoroughly enjoy watching this sweet sweet boy Russell. So that's not something I thought I'd be saying six months ago. Case. Good. I'm glad you're on the right side of history now. I never gave up on this kid. I knew he'd be good. Hey, I'm a gracious loser. I take my L. Like I was out here almost writing the kid off, thinking he was too sick and injured, but he's put it together and he's progressed faster than i thought he would so i don't know if i think he's proper he's a good heir for the dragon name yet because you know how highly i value that name but he's for where he is and being someone who's just now into year two of his wrestling career he's doing an exceptional job over the last two months i've always said mike spears is a gracious 
loser and let the record show that Mike has now adapted that. Hey, it's something that if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I'm willing to admit it. Just like there's one moment on this show that we'll get to f- further on where finally something I called in 2016 happened. So, you know, I sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. But I'm proud to see Dragon Daya kind of continue stepping up. All right, match four, 20th anniversary celebration series, extra volume. It Before the match, it turned into a luchas de apuestas, mask versus hair. Of course, we're talking about the legendary, the famous, world famous case, Hollywood Stalker Chikawa versus Naomichi Marafuji in a special stakes match. Stalker Chikawa just had to get a two count. Marafuji had the normal count rules and Marafuji only had a five count on the outside or else he would lose his hair. It was eight minutes and eight seconds. In case I am very disappointed to say and I'm heartbroken to say that Stalker Ichikawa was defeated here. He was revealed as Kanji Ichikawa from Gifu Prefecture. He's over a 20-year vet, and he's once divorced. A, uh, a sad state of affairs in the Dragon Gate locker room after this match. I imagine it was just really tough for everybody to learn that this man that had been claiming a mask for 20 years was actually a divorcee uh, who has a real life and feelings and, and is more than just a Hollywood stalker Ichikawa. There's a real man under that makeup. Uh, as for this match, I thought it was so cool that Naimichi Marafuji played along. I was really afraid that he was not going to be into this and that this would be quick because when I think of fun wrestlers, Naimichi Marafuji is not necessarily the one that comes to mind, but Marafuji seemed to be having the time of his life out there. And, and I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Like I would think that Marafuji is from the Masato Yoshino school of pulling up to the McDonald's and asking for one black coffee and going along his way. But he was having a blast here. They, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, there's a definite category of guys in wrestling who are just no fun, just love wrestling. And I, that's where I put both these guys. So I'm glad he played along with this match and played to the stipulations, played to the two count versus three count, played to the five count to the outside. And it just was a incredible comedy match. It was great to see these guys having a good time. And, you know... For someone who's now watched Dragon Gate for since 2006, so I'm coming up on my 15th year, it's always something that like how Sakura Chikawa is treated is one of those kind of like iffy things. But it just was like something that like, they gave this guy who is the big joke in the promotion, like this what would be a normal emotional moment if it wasn't for the fact that he was this guy revealing that he was divorcee when his version of the 619 has been named after his ex-wife since they got married just was a, just a hilarious just confluence of events and god Sakura Takawa is the greatest comedy wrestler of all time and now he's unmasked and I don't know how to feel about that case oh I mean I'm gonna move on with my life and not think too hard about it but you know Mike you've always been the emotional one the one that processes things a little bit harder uh I'm here for you in your time of need I guess Thank you. I hope this is not too much emotional labor for you. It's it's a little awkward for me on the other end of the call right now, to be honest. <laughs> but I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm going to persevere because I really like talking with you about 
a Drangate specific way. All right. So en- enough of that. That let's move on to the last uh, match, not last non-title match on the show. It was the Toriumon Generation Tag Match: Ultimo, Ryo Saito, and Yuzushi Kanda versus Masato Yoshino, Dragon Kid, and Masaki Mochizuki. Yoshino got the win in 14 minutes and 48 seconds with the Soul Naciente on Yuzushi Kanda. I, I thought this was one of the better Ultimo Trios matches, but it was just kind of what it was. Yeah, very much a match that was there, and it was, I after the Stalker match, I was really ready for things to pick up and for for something big to happen. You know, I liked the opener, then we had the Battle Royal, which brought me down, then Daya Sakamoto, which is too short to really be anything. Ichikawa match was, you know, eight minutes of Stalker Ichikawa, which is a lot, but I, I enjoyed it, and then it was like, okay, all right, here we go. Ichikawa was done, let's get into something. And this match was fine. I mean, I I gave it three and a half, which maybe in hindsight I'd, I'd bump it down just a little bit because I don't necessarily think it's highly of it two days after the fact. The one thing I did love was, once again, Ultimo Dragon cannot hit the Asai Moonsault. Dragon Kid pulled him down at the very last second in this. I thought this was going to be the time that Ultimo hit it. And instead, Dragon Kid pulls him down, gets huge boos, from a Fukuoka crowd that I thought was pretty hot all night. And Fukuoka, that building in particular, is notoriously dead. But I really, I thought they enjoyed the show. I enjoyed their reaction to Dragon Kid pulling them down. And yeah, it was a it was a fine match. Yeah, I mean, that at the end of the day, if you're going to have me list my Ultimo Dragon Trios matches in Dragon Gate, this would be high up on the list, but at the end of the day, it's still that kind of match. And, you know, the, the one thing actually I really took out of it is... For someone who I've been open about how little I think of him in the most recent years, Yuzushi Kanda has been fun as a face. Like, he's probably should just be a face the rest of his career because him as the slummy heel has just been disappointing. But him as a member of the Toriumon generation pseudo unit has been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, he's been so much more enjoyable as a face than he was during his entire time as a heel. Uh... And like you said, I, I kind of hope he stays this way the rest of his career because for whatever reason, he's much more tolerable in this position. Yeah, yeah. So there's four title matches on the night. The first one was the Open the Brave Gate Championship match where Kaido Ishida made his first defense against Jason Lee in 12 minutes and 8 seconds with his Tiger Suplex hold. This was V1 for Ishida, and Jason Lee has yet to win this title, and he hasn't won a title since his initial triangle gate match so he's someone else like doi who's been kind of unlucky as of late i love this i felt like that the video did a great job of building this match i felt like that both lenny and larry did a great job talking about the betrayal that jason felt like he had from ashita and it just was a fun good brave gate match and it kind of gave us the idea of who Ishida is going to be as a heel. And I'm kind of excited to see how far they're willing to go with him being the just biggest asshole in the world. And I like it a lot. Yeah, this was other than the main event. This was the best the English commentary was all night because for whatever reason, Lenny and Larry just nailed the story of Jason Lee here. It made me even process this story in a way that I wasn't necessarily thinking about where, you know, Lee is from Hong Kong. He doesn't necessarily speak the language. And when you don't speak the language, the people you spend the most time around become your family. And in Dragon Gate, that is your unit. And your unit becomes your family. And Kaito Ishida turned his back on the family. And they all, they mentioned that when they were doing their entrances. And for whatever reason, that just really stuck with me. And it gave me a new mindset for this match. It gave me a new perspective to look at. And I knew the match was going to be great because we've been talking all year about how great Kaito Ishida is and how he's 
uh, delivered at every new level and new opportunity he's been given. Jason Lee is someone who, yes, he had a Brave Gate challenge earlier this year, but it was on a smaller show. Uh, it, the crowd wasn't right. The feeling wasn't right. It was, it was a filler defense to get Susumu to Kobe World. But Jason Lee is unbelievably talented. He's now been he's now been in Dragon Gate for two years. He came in and was a revelation. We were all like, oh my God, I mean, this this is really fun. And he's gone from a fun undercard act to someone who should be taken seriously. And this was his biggest match to date, the biggest match of his career, I think that's safe to say. And he delivered. I know some people were not a fan of the salt attack and the box and the finish and how abrupt it was. I thought it worked given that they protected Jason Lee in that sense, and I'm all for that because Jason Lee is really an incredible talent. He's someone who I don't really ever think is going to be a, a Dreamgate challenger even. I think that would be a little unrealistic for what Jason Lee is. But whether it be the kingpin of a Triangle Gate team, a force in a Twin Gate team, or a Brave Gate champion, I think those are all realistic futures that I would like to see Jason Lee achieve. Yeah, and it's something that you kind of see this as one of those things going to 2020 now that with what's going to be the state of maximum now that Naruki Doi is champion and now they're down to three other members that if they're going to go for a Triangle Gate team, this you have your Triangle Gate team. And it's a totally strong Triangle Gate team and that's something that I think is entirely realistic for Jason Lee. And with Ishida, I mean, if you're going to be frustrated about RED and heel hijinks and dragon gate and like that sullying matches i'm sorry but you're getting angry at the baby for wetting itself like this was the time they chose to do it and they did it really just here like there wasn't as much in the triangle gate match and it was effective and the big the big goal now is to take kaido ishida from the level he's at right now as a heel and get him to a position where he is not just the number three in red and the way you do that is you have to find some ways to get heat on him. So, yeah, he's not going to have squeaky clean wins. I mean, it was the same case for both Yamato and Naruki Doi as heels. So it makes sense. And I didn't think that took a, took away anything from this match. Yeah, it's a, a good combination of forces that play. You had the obvious evil in Kaito Ishida and the obvious good in Jason Lee. And, and like, like I agree with you, I don't think it took away from the match at all. And it, it's something that I think that this was... As you said, one of the better calls was on this match, and I think that they did a great job of explaining this about Dragon Gate, because it's one of those things that, at least from what I know, you really do, other than like the bus rides where they they have like this the singular bus. Like if you are the foreigner and you are in a unit, you are relying upon your your senior members of the unit who might have the dinners plan might have like the workouts plan and you do basically live with these people. So I feel like that they tapped into that realism in a really great degree as well. But that's all I really have to say about the brave gate match. Unless you had something else to add in. No, uh, triangle triangle gate match is up next. All right. Open the triangle gate three way championship match for, it's been a while since they've had one of these matches when dragon gate has a three or four way match. It is multiple falls and it's goes until there's one team that hasn't had a pinfall or submission against them. It was the champion team of Strong Machine Army, J, F, and G, versus the Natural Vibes team of KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Ginki Horiguchi, and the RED team of Hio, uh, Takashi Yoshida, and Diamante. The two falls in this match were Super Strong Machine, J, 
hitting his Masha Fushigatame Devil's Windmill Suplex on Kiki Horiguchi in 13 minutes and 8 seconds for the first fall. And the second fall was Diamante hitting the Vuelta Finale on Strong Machine G in 16 minutes and 33 seconds. The Strong Machine Army fail in their fourth attempted defense. R.E.D. are the 67th Open the Dream Gate, Open the Triangle Gate champions. And this ends the, I think they said it was 32-0 record of Strong Machine J, the 2019 Tokyo Sports Rookie of the Year. Case, take it away. Yeah, this was uh, the traditional uh, three-team Triangle Gate match that we see, just minus any of the excitement that typically goes along with it. It was just a bad combination of wrestlers in this match to produce anything great, because for whatever reason, it seemed like uh, KZ, Horiguchi, and Susumu were inconsequential to, to this match. They just they, they never did anything that struck me as particularly engaging, and when you lose them and then you have to rely on strong machines and an R.E.D. team that includes Diamante and Takashi Yoshida, uh, that has three stars written all over it, and that is what I gave this match. Uh, there was just nothing to this. I, I had a feeling the belts were going to change hands here. I thought they would go to Natural Vibes. Instead, they go to R.E.D. Uh, and Diamante is now a champion in Dragon Gate. Uh, we have to accept that as a reality. I can't believe you went this far without congratulating me. You're right. Hayo, his first uh, his first title. Congratulations, Mike. You have been with him uh, mentally and spiritually in the dojo since day one. And, it, you know, this was a big win for the Leopard Sun, but it was an even bigger win for you. I mean, as gracious as I am taking my L's, I am horrifically not gracious taking my wins. A, a, a humble loser and a boisterous winner. That is the Mike Spears story. <laughs> yes, and it's just something that Hyo has always been my guy. He has been someone that, dating back 2016, I saw something in him that I guess it took a while for the rest of the promotion to see in him that he's someone that you could trust a title with. He's been exceptional this year. He's really kind of got his career back on track and he's become something really exciting. And, you know, the best parts of this match were parts of Hyo or Strong Machine J in it. Like, this was not a great match. Jay did a really great scoop power slam on Susumu, and that was like the best part of that fall. But then Hyo decided to go do a balcony brawl with Strong Machine F, which was something I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. It made me wonder where Don Fuji was. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy that Don Fuji would miss a big show like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this was not a great three-way match. This was, as you said, it's weird because of how big of a Triangle Gate team the Natural Vibes team were. They were just, as you said, inconsequential. Uh, they got the belts off the Strong Machine Army, which means... The interesting thing to say now, and we'll talk about this when we talk about Corkin, is where does Strong Machine J go from here, Case? Like, that, that that's a question I want our listeners to think about before we get to Corkin, is now this probably is the end of the Strong Machine Army, or it should be, and where they go from here. Yeah, I, uh, I, I hope listeners think about that, and uh, I'm going to take some time to think about it as well, because I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a puzzler, it's a chin scratcher. So, yeah, that's all I've got on the Triangle Gate match. Should we close out the review with the Twin Gate? Let's do it. All right. The Open the Twin Gate Championship match was between Ada and Big R Shimizu and Yamato and BB Hulk. 
it was a 18 minutes and 44 second match where Yamato got the victory on Big R Shimizu with the Frankensteiner of the Almighty. RED fail in their fourth offense, and Tri Vanguard becomes the 47th team, and the lineal champions have returned. This will be the second title reign, I believe, unless there's one I'm forgetting about in Mad Blanky with uh, Yamato and BB Hulk as a tag team champion. And I thought this was a lot of fun, Case. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? I like this match a lot. Uh, there's a there's a few different factors at play here that stuck out to me in particular. One, I talked with someone in the company recently. I were just talking about just random guys on the roster. I had a second to pick their brain. And one of the things that they noted to me was that BB Hulk is in the dojo every single day, training and improving and trying to get in better shape. And Mike and I came on this podcast. I was probably, I don't remember when we did audio around Champion Gate. Or I guess Hulk returned it dead or alive. So it would have been it would have been maybe a King of Gate show or even maybe when we were previewing Kobe World, which was July. But we had a serious conversation about whether this would be the end of BB Hulk's career or not, and if he was going to retire at the end of the year, because BB Hulk um, went from being just this chiseled granite athletic freak, this dancing freak into this goth freak that we knew for so long, and then once he wrestled Shingo at Final Gate 2014, and he got pretty badly hurt in that match, we kind of saw him go from BB Hulk that we know to, well, he's in good shape, but he's not in BB Hulk shape, to he got hurt and then came back, and it was, oh, he's not in good shape at all. And that's kind of where he was at this summer, and we've now seen him transition kind of into, well, this is probably as good as it's going to get. But BB Hulk has been moving around really well on the Corkins. He's been moving well on the house shows. And he had a particularly good outing in this match. And it made me happy to see uh, not only that he looked good, but that he was able to, to look good in victories. So before I continue, Mike, uh, how do you feel about BB Hulk in his current state? I think that he went from someone that I was expecting to be in a Kness or Monday Ryu role where he gets three minutes in a multi-man tag and that's it. He'll come in, do the mouse, maybe do a version of the EVO and maybe get a finish with a final flash and that would be it to someone that now it's basically like his neck was never even broken. And I think that's fair to say. And he just looked incredible in this and it's a it's a shocking transition. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, no, I'm impressed with it. And you know, it shows dedication for the guy who a lot of people don't realize how old BB Hulk is. Like he is another person who's thirty nine years old. He's, he had a later start. He was a Japanese self-defense force ranger before he got into wrestling. So like, he entered at the same time as Tozawa and Takagi, but he was three or four years older than them. So older guy, and it's great to see him find like last lease because when this injury happened in late last year, there were serious talks about, like, okay, this might be it for him. And when he came back, it was like, solidifying this was it for him and now he kind of just restarted himself and it's exciting to see and it's happy to see i mean bb hulk was someone that was on a five-year slide after that final gate match and this was he physically looked as well as he did in that match in 2014 and that's very heartening to see yeah i uh, i agree and if if we continue to to kind of scale back and, and look at the past for a second I included this in my review, but I want to talk to you specifically about it. I'm going to read off the last few. It looks like the last seven Twin Gate champions. And this starts at Final Gate 2017 
after CK won the team of Shima and Dragon Kid had to vacate the Twin Gate belts. These are the teams that have held the titles. It's T-Hawk and Ata, Ben K and Big R Shimizu, Yamato and BB Hulk, Ben K and Big R Shimizu again, Yamato and Kai, Ata and Big R Shimizu, and now Yamato and BB Hulk. And I bring that up only because it really stuck out to me as I was watching this match that for as much as I enjoy Twin Gate matches, I think a, a good two-on-two Dragon Gate tag match, it's really hard to beat that in professional wrestling. That's just a style that I enjoy more than just about anything. But it stuck out to me here. We've kind of been watching the same Twin Gate matches for two straight years now. Yeah. It's just these guys are all very talented. And, you know, I, I've, I've said in my reviews, I think I said on here, Ata's ultimate peak is as a tag team wrestler. And that is not a shot at Ata. Because he proved in that Ultimo Dragon match that he can hang. But Ata's been through too much for me to really buy him as a credible Dreamgate threat all the time. Ata's a Twin Gate guy I'm sold on. I, I understand that and I'm, on, and I'm on board with that immediately. But, you know, T-Hawk and Ata. Ata and Big R Shimizu. Big R Shimizu and Ben K. Yamato and BB Hulk. Yamato and Kai. It's just, these are all talented guys. And for a guy like Yamato, who... who uh, does not need to be anywhere near the Dream Gate. I understand why, you know, he needs to be pushed and he's there, but I it's it's not quite stale because there has been seven title changes in two years and the belts have changed hands and you know we've had really good Twin Gate matches, but I would like a fresh team in the mix, let's say. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I found kind of interesting about that when you list off those teams were. I I have like a fawn a, a certain fondness for T Hawk and Ada that you know from their 2013 2014 team, but they're not a team that in that last reign really felt like too much. Yama Hulk I was all aboard on, and I thought Yama Hulk was great use of both those guys, but that was also because as you said, they had to keep Yamato away from the title, and I still like that's something they're doing in the future. But the things that like I remember and I th- am really positive about when we talk about the last few years and the Twinkate scene were more often than not the challenger teams talking about like Masaki Mochizuki and Shun Skywalker talking about Kai and UT talking about just name a, a tag team that's challenged against them Naruki Doi and Jason Lee I've enjoyed those a lot more than I necessarily have around the champions and it makes you wonder is this going to kind of be the veteran or the you aren't focused on belt going forward because it the way you laid it out there it certainly feels like that was the case, at least for the last few years. Yeah, I would agree. It's uh, Again, it's not bad, but I'm ready for something new. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just, when we go now that three out of the four titles change hands at this show, the fourth title changed hands at Gate of Destiny. So basically everyone is either a fresh champion or a champion that got the belt and has one offense. It's in an interesting place because where we, as we say, like what the direction of emotion is going to be. But this is the one that kind of feels most like a reset. It's we're resetting, and and in a lot of ways, the lineal champions are back being the champions again. And now, I guess, like the the hope is that Hulk's body is going to hold up, and it gives Yamato something to do, and it makes you wonder, like, what's going to be the thing that for a unit that's now approaching its fourth full year, what's going to happen with Tri Vanguard going forward in twenty twenty because. When, it, when a unit gets this old, especially like Tri Vanguard, you start wondering, like, when are they going to take this unit out back and put it down? And 
I've said that so many times about this unit, and now they have champions. Now they have a championship again. Well, when you look at the big picture, Red is continuously growing and growing and growing, and they're adding a new member twelve hours from you know as of when we're recording this. I I do have to wonder if you know you started the decade basically with Blood Warriors Junction Three. If something similar is around the corner, and maybe that's a way to kindly end this tribe vanguard unit which i did not when it was formed i i could not have imagined it staying around for as long as it has but it, <laughs> it is and you know there's been good moments and there's been bad but the fact is tribe vanguard has been around for four years now and i just don't know how that's possible but more power to them i guess yeah yeah and you look at a four member maximum unit as well natural vibes has just existed like it does feel like that, that we could be seeing another unit warfare time period coming up ahead in Dragon Gate. I would, uh, I would have to agree. Uh, as for Final Gate, just to recap on the big picture there, unless you have anything else to add. Uh, an enjoyable show. I think it's one of those where you can you can bounce around maybe a little bit. For sure, watch the main event. Uh, I think watch the Brave Gate match, watch the Twin Gate match, and watch the opener because Yuki Yoshioka is someone you're going to want to be uh, ahead of the curve on mm-hmm. absolutely like i think that going to 2020 i don't know if he's the most interesting guy alive but he'll be one of the more interesting guys to see as the promotion move forward but yeah thumbs up this is a great starting point for dragon gate because especially i felt like that at the time blood warriors and junction 3 was a great time because it was basically one side versus another and i feel like we might be seeing that again it's good that we're talking today because we have a show that, as you mentioned, is going to be in less than 12 hours from, it will be the Tokyo finale of Dragon Gate's 2019, their 20th year as a system. Fantastic Gate 2019. There will be English commentary. It is going to be Larry Dallas and former, and former Dragon Gate USA and English mastermind Jay will be doing commentary for that, so that should be pretty exciting. It's a seven match show. In case do you want to just talk about like the big moment matches before you, we really like. I, there's a lot on the show that is kind of filler, but there are some really interesting things going on here. So, case how do you want to take this preview? Well, I want to talk about the big moment first of all, which is that Larry Dallas and Jay are doing commentary together. There are not more opposite humans on the planet than Larry Dallas and Jay. I am so excited to see what that's going to be like. I like both of them and the brief interactions I've had with them, but they are so drastically different humans. The idea of them sitting at a table together for three hours is very, very funny to me. Yeah, this is a chance for a Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan for the new generation, <laughs> if there ever was one. I, I, I... Yeah. Love. Yes. Um, I'm looking at. Uh, go, go ahead, Mike. Uh, I was gonna say one one last little joke about this, Larry. If somehow you listen to this before you do the show, bone up on your skateboarding terminology. That'll help you out here, buddy. <laughs> Larry, unironically, you can DM me with any skateboarding questions you have. I can probably answer them because I'm super cool. <laughs> All right. So it's a seven. It's a seven match showcase. Uh, of course, the main event is the Doy Darts. Special four-way six-man tag. And the rest of the show, I mean, there's a couple of key matchups. Uh, the big ones, uh, BB Hulk and Kai versus Misaki Mochizuki and Keisuke Akuda. 
Benkei versus Strong Machine J, Susumu and Yashi versus Dragon Kid and Dragon Daya, and then we're getting some more RED matches with Ultimo, Ryo Saito, and Kenichi Rai versus Shimizu, Yoshida, and Diamante, and then Speed Muscle versus Kaido Ishida and Kazuma Sakamoto. This will be the last match, I believe, for both Jimmy and Diamante for this tour, and I don't know. I, I Diamante will be back because he's a champion, and I just hope that, that he brings Jimmy along with him at, with that. So that's really kind of your match previews. Uh, the Doi Darts match is Ada, Kota Minanura, and KZ versus Yamato, Gamma, and Ginki Horiguchi. So we get a real hazard reunion right there. Uh, Kagatora, Hio, and and X. <laughs> and probably the, 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 the Mike Spears trio of Hollywood Stalker Ishikawa, Don Fuji, and Yosuke Santa Maria. So, Case, how do you want to take this? What match uh, do you want to talk about first? Well, you know, as I'm looking at this card, I really like this card. There's a lot of interesting things on it. Um, let's go Let's go top to bottom. Let's start with the main event. Uh, there's an X at play here. I don't know who that X is going to be, the person that teams with Kagatora and Yo. Um, it's supposed to be Shun Skywalker. Shun Skywalker popped up in the DTU promotion in Mexico over the weekend and wrestled a five-way match for the Rockstar Pro title. That match is on the Lucha Blog Twitter. He's got it timestamped. It's really easy to find. With that being said, I do not recommend that match. I watched it yesterday, and Shun Skywalker was very good in the match, but as a whole, it was one of the worst matches I've seen in 2019. It was just a lot of Lucha spots gone wrong, and then Shun Skywalker popped in and did his moonsault and his bicycle kick and then called it a day. I, I do not recommend that match. Um... Skywalker seems like the obvious choice, but I'm thinking X is going to be the Red Demon. And do you want to do you want to give your Red Demon prediction now? Because unless something changes, I have been told that the Red Demon is being unmasked on this show. Yeah, um, I said this on Twitter before we recorded. I I just can't shake the feeling that it's going to be Dragon Kid. Really? Yeah, and I know that's kind of a preposterous thing. But it's something that it just seems to make a lot of sense for me. And I think that it's something that could be pretty pretty special. Uh just because he's so rarely a he's so rarely he's been heel very rarely. Like the most time last time he was was when he was a uh, member of Blood Warriors and he kind of was like a heelish face there. I think all the Ultimo slights will play into this. And if it's not him I'm just gonna go with. I'm gonna have to say uh, maybe Rich Swan. Maybe Rich Swan comes back. Rich Swan would be fun. That would be an interesting one, just because the Dragon Gate fan base in Japan seems to have so much uh, overturn and it constantly changes. And Swan hasn't wrestled there since Kobe World 2012. And the idea of him returning would be more of a debut for the current fan base. I would welcome that. I think Rich Swan is incredibly talented. He was someone who, right before he got he signed with WWE, my take was that Rich Swan, pound for pound, was one of the 10 to 15 best wrestlers in the world. If you needed a three and a half to four star match, there was almost no safer bet than Rich Swan. Uh, I think he's incredibly talented. I am not watching Impact Wrestling because no one is, but I've heard he's been doing great stuff there. Uh, I, so I, I would be okay with Swan coming in. My pick is, and I have to shout out Angry216 on Twitter 
a longtime Drangate devotee, a listener of the podcast, someone who is great to interact with. He's just good dude, loves Drangate, real simple. That's all you need to do to get me to like you. Uh, he said something earlier today that is officially my pick. I'm taking it from him. This is now my take, not his. I think Red Demon Mask is UT, and I think UT is inserting himself into the Doid Arts match, and he is winning the Doid Arts match. I don't know why I never thought of UT as a possible scenario there. That's a good pick. He, I mean, he broke his, he, he dislocated his shoulder this summer. Yeah, it feels like now is the time for him to return. I, we've seen him around the ring. He's no longer in a cast. He's got no visible wear and tear or or medical, I, I don't want to say, I, he does, he's not wearing a cast is what, what I'm trying to say. Uh, he can clearly maneuver and walk around I think he's ready for an in-ring return, and I think he turns heel uh, at Cork and Hall. And then looking at this, I'm trying to think of, okay, so the matches that it could happen during, I mean, the one that would be most impactful would be a match two then, because, or I guess he turns heel in the beginning of the match on Yamato and then removes himself and says he's teaming with Yo. So, I mean, there's possibilities there. I definitely could see that happen. I would just, I would... B, I would be looking at the Red Demon Mask when he's out there for presumably matches five and six. And if you see a smaller human, it is probably UT. Because I think they can do it in a way to where they have him turn. I, I would think they do an angle kind of in between matches six and seven where Ashita comes out, introduces Red Demon Mask. Red Demon Mask uh, maybe turns into UT. UT inserts himself into the main event, something like that. I don't want a fantasy book. That's boring. But there are ways to do it to have UT on the show as both UT and the Red Demon Mask, and then again as Heal UT. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. Okay, now that that gives me some food, some food for thought. Maybe my Dragon Kid idea was a little bit too off the board there, but UT I definitely can see being a strong contender there. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's my big thought on the main event. Uh, I'm going to move on to match six unless you stop me real quick, uh, but this is uh, Speed Muscle doing Yoshino against... Kaito Ishida and Kazuma Sakamoto. Interesting implications here. Uh, when the card was announced, Ben K was Dreamgate champion, uh, but now it is Naruki Doi, so we've got a Dreamgate versus Bravegate scenario here. I, I have no strong takes on this match other than I think it's going to be outstanding, and I look forward to watching it. Yeah, no, the, this is now a champion team versus champion team match, and I think that's really interesting. And then for match five, you have two-thirds of the Dreamgate, uh, the Twingate, yeah, the Triangle Gate champion team uh, against the Torimon generation, which would be kind of interesting as well. Yeah, that's another, that's one of those matches that I, I just hope there's a clean finish. I really am going to get annoyed if that's another double count out. Uh, yeah. But yeah, match five is certainly there. There's a lot of names there that could be real hit or miss. Match four, on the other hand, you've got Yokozuka and Brother Yashi against Dragon Kid and Dragon Daya. Do you think there's a possibility Dragon Daya pins Susumu Yokosuka here? I think that the more likely finish is him pinning Yashi, but I can't discount that out of hand now. Yeah, I think that's that's far more likely, but I can't rule it out. And I think you talked about the Hakata double shot in February. Uh, once you said that, I said, oh, well, that's where that's where he'll challenge for the Brave Gate. And I think uh, the wheels get put in motion for Dragon Daya, future Brave Gate challenger in, in this match. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, match three. Where you get to discover probably what the big direction is going to be with both Binkei and Strong Machine J. Uh, I assume that the Strong Machine army might be done here. Might, might have been done at Final Gate. Binkei no longer has his sworn partner in Shun Skywalker here. 
and I feel like these two guys make a lot of sense if we just take them out of their partnerships as a possible like we were thinking that there might have been something that was going to happen with Benkei, Keisuke Akuda, and Shin Skywalker. Obviously, that never happened, but we when you have someone who's a lone wolf for this long as both uh, Benkei and Strong Machine J have been, you start to wonder when are they going to start uniting, getting themselves together, and this seems like a natural point if there is going to be a point for these two guys. Yeah, Benkei needs a unit, and he needs one quick. I was shocked that they kept him solo his entire Dreamgate run. I assumed he would be partnering with Skywalker. That never happened. Okuda's off in Mochizuki Dojo. So I could very easily see this being uh, the formation of something here. It's a huge test for Strong Machine J and a huge test for Ben K because, you know, Ben K's had great matches against Masato Yoshino and Masaki Mochizuki in Naruki Doi. But I think you and I could have great matches against Masaki Mochizuki, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi. Uh, this is a chance for Ben K to carry somebody younger than him to an engaging match. And I think it's very important for both men that they don't go out and lay an egg here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Ben K was the longest tenured lone wolf champion who wasn't an outsider. And that's something that does not happen very often in Dragon Gate and certainly did not happen in the previous eras of Dragon Gate. And this is, a, this is another test for Ben K. I mean, I constantly talk about my checklist I have for him. This is a this is not necessarily the highest box on the list, but have a match with a rookie when you lead them through that kind of match because you assume that he'd be the one leading them through the match. And this is going to be a, another thing on the Benkei future ace god of Dragon Gate checklist is can he do this here? So it'll be interesting. Absolutely. Um, match for two, BB Hulk and Kai versus Mochizuki and Akuda. Uh, I once again hope Akuda and Kai beat the ever-living hell out of each other. And I joined in on the party. This should be a fun match number two. Yeah, this is just going to be a, the vine of what's better than this disguise being dudes, the match. <laughs> that, that's really all I can say about this. And the opener is the standard 10-man 10, 10 tag with with Sachi, Monde Ryu, Puncho Managa, Hiroshi Yamato, and Oji Shiba. There is a lot of sleaze coming off on that side of the tag team. <laughs> and then the other side is Kanda, Kness. Jason Lee, Yuki Yoshioka, and Jimmy. I, I I like to see a Jimmy like look strong in his farewell. There there was like the uh, scattering of an OG versus Jimmy feud that never really came to pass. Maybe Jimmy can get a panfall on OG to end his current tour. That would be very nice. That'd be exciting because you're right. I kind of forgot about that, but he really teased that there was something in the works there, and then OG kind of disappeared as he typically does. But uh. It's a dragon opener. I will write my 75 words on it and then never think about it again. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like looking at that one side and, oh, Sachi, Mondairu, Punch Tomonaka, and Hiroshi Yamato. <laughs> what a, a, a hive, a scum of villainy right there. Yikes. So that is... Yeah, that is, that is something. <laughs> yeah, so that is the final Cork and Hall and English commentary show of the year for Dragon Gate. It will be on at 6 p.m. Japanese Standard Time, which I believe that would be 4.15 Eastern Time. And let's see if I can do this off the top of my head case without looking this up, but I'm going to look this up as well. It will be about 8.15 at GMT, I want to say. I'm probably wrong on that. I'm going to look up to verify it. No, 9.15 GMT. So not necessarily a... Yeah, I was going to say, you were asking the, you were asking the wrong person there. <laughs> I, I was just ready to kind of see if i can make that that so yep that's the last big show there's still 
two more shows, I think, for the rest of the year. I think they have a KBS and a, and a Kobe show to end out the year, but there are, those shows are basically fan appreciation shows. Not a whole lot usually goes on there, but we will see it. Whoever is Red Demon Mask will probably be working as a heel. Is it going to be Dragon Kid? Is it going to be UT? Is it going to be Lupus Mastani? We will find out in less than 12 hours. So, Case, before we end this episode of Open the Dreamgate, we've already talked about Shun in Mexico. Um, no indication of how long of a trip this is going to be. This could just be him doing something until January when they come back. It could be that he shows up at Corkin tonight. Who knows? Uh, do you have any indication on how long you think Shun is going to be on this somewhat excursion? I would expect him to return in January and uh, have a new direction. I think it will be a short stay in Mexico, but I hope uh, I hope he's still there, and I hope he has another match or two that makes tape. It's fun to see Shun in a different environment. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping that there, there were some promoters that were inquiring about Shun earlier this year to work in the States, and must not have worked out. But then again, the story of wrestling in the United States this year are visa problems, so that's completely understandable. Uh, there is a Tory Mon reunion show coming up in January. I don't know. It's, it's promoted by Dragon Gate, so I assume it's going to be taped. Uh, the only thing we really know is that, quote, quotation marks, invitations have gone out to every person who was in Toriumon. If you've listened to this show, you should know who to expect and not to expect on that show. But we know that Rio Saito is. We know that... Yeah, that, that feels like a lie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's one person in particular who will not be on that show. I'm willing to put the I'm willing to put the ten bucks out of my wallet on that. But Suchi Kondo has been announced for it. I expect we'll, we'll probably see Takuya Sugawara on that show, sadly. But that's coming forward. But the last big thing I wanted to touch on this episode is, as we saw at, at Final Gate, there is a new name and logo for Dragon Gate as they enter their 21st year. They're, they've gone from their official name being Dragon Gate Entertainment to Dragon Gate, one word, Japan. And the new logo it was done by people who've done the former Muscle anime. And they are friends of Ultimo Dragon. And it looks, it has like a dragon head on a crest. And they had the first kind of indications of that at Final Gate with the entranceways and the new ring mat and apron. And I didn't actually ask you about it. I'm pretty nonplussed about it. I think it looks fine. It, it'll be something I disregard after time. I'm interested to see if this means new titles, but Case, what do you feel about the new logo and name? Oh, I have no strong thoughts on the logo. I think it looks nice. Um, I won't wear it on a t-shirt, whereas I would wear the old Dragon Gate logo on a t-shirt, uh, but uh, I kind of have a no skull slash demon looking policy on what I wear, and the new Dragon Gate logo falls under skull slash demon looking, <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a no from me there. Uh, but it's a nice looking logo. I hope we get new belts. Uh, as for the company name, I, I hand that over to Mike. Uh, I, I don't pretend to understand business in that sort of way. I don't know if this has any implications to the OWE uh, begrudging partnership, uh, but it is a new name company, and uh, it means Ultimo Dragon is going to be here probably until the end of his career, which is not bad. It is just different, and it is something I have to get used to. Yeah, so Mike's very uh, broad business corner, I guess. Uh, to my knowledge, speaking to people within who are closely affiliated with OWE and just my general read of the land and other conversations I've had before, 
what I expect this to mean is that President Okamura, who was the founder of the original Dragon Gate and was, for a time, the president of what was called Dragon Gate International, which was the booking office for the former Dragon Gate wrestlers in OWE. I get the sense, and I've been told, but not specifically the things have changed, that he's completely gone now, that Shima now is entirely in control of that. And if anything, this might be like a former, a formal sever between the two groups, because I know that Shima is the promoter on record of the upcoming OWE Korokin show on the 30th. For Dragon Gate Japan, I don't really think this has a lot of changes with their corporate structure. Uh, President Kido has said that when he came into office that he was looking to have it for about three to five years to hand it off to the wrestlers. Now that Ultimo's in, wouldn't be surprised if he becomes the figurehead president in a few years, whereas the current people who have been running the company behind the scenes continue to run the company behind the scenes. And yeah, Ultimo's here. You know, I mean, I feel a little bit better about Ultimo around Dragon Gate other than like Ultimo matches this month versus I was in October or November. So that's cool. And yeah, they need new title belts. That the, the Brave Gate has already had a restrapping. The Twin Gate, one of the belts is completely broken and they basically have had to glue the old Dragon Gate logo onto it. And the Triangle Gate somehow have existed for 15 years without having needing be replaced so i expect that we might see new belts for them the first indications were looked like they had a lot of new sponsors so business wise this seems like to be a good move and i expect to see the new crest on the map probably not tomorrow but i expect to see it on the first shows in 2020 so yeah that's my sense of it at least business wise i think that if anything owe dragon gate this might be the former the, the formal complete sever between the two if it that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. So unless you have anything else, um, I think that's it for this episode of Open the Voice Gate. We will be back once more in 2019, Case. We will be back for one more episode where we are t- going to take a very wide view on what is the best things about Dragon Gate in the 2010s. You all could probably expect that around New Year. Like, like We'll have that out around then. But that's going to do it for this episode. Case, anything you wanted to hit or plug before we get out of here? Uh, yeah. Uh, as always, you can follow me at underscore in your case on Twitter. Uh, uh, I do the Dragon Gate reviews, obviously, for Voices of Wrestling. Uh, and when uh, I am available, I now do the live reports for AAW uh, from the balcony of the Logan Square Auditorium. Uh, if you're looking for good American independent wrestling, there's not a lot of it out there. But AAW's on unstoppable from november 30th was a terrific show uh if you're feeling jaded about the current indie scene i don't blame you but i encourage you to watch that show there was tons of good stuff on there an ach six-man match that felt straight out of the dragon system uh on top of other things and i also uh have something new to plug uh i have a new podcast uh non-wrestling related uh but the podcast is called art school albums every week i attempt to curate the ultimate art school playlist by breaking down an album of either my choosing or the guest choosing. Uh, we have a few episodes out already. We've talked about Weezer's Pinkerton. We've talked about Neutral Milk Hotels and the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll be discussing the first Vampire Weekend record. Uh, Modern Baseball is You're Gonna Miss It All. 
Uh, I've got a Bright Eyes episode lined up in the future. So if you enjoy music uh, and lighthearted discussions about music and the culture that surrounds certain bands, uh, that is the podcast for you. Those come out every Thursday. It's available on iTunes uh, and Stitcher and on Google Podcasts. It is not available on Spotify because Spotify's lawyers scare me. Uh, but the <laughs> podcast is Art School Albums. Uh, you can follow it on Instagram or Twitter at Art School Albums or just type it into your podcast engine of choice. Uh, and it should hopefully pop up. But that has been a very fun project that I've been working on for the past few months. Awesome. Uh, when you brought up a Vampire Week, and that made me, that reminded me of a very specific time in my art school career. So I, I'm really stoked about going That's back. That's the goal of the it. podcast. That is, uh, that is uh, that Vampire Weekend episode. I, I have to do some organizing. I believe it will be out the first week of January. Uh, so by the time people listen to this and then by the time people listen to the decade in review that we do uh, you will have even more case to listen to when I discuss Vampire Weekend record with one of my good uh, the first Vampire Weekend record with one of my good friends uh, but like I said it's been a really fun project we uh, I don't take myself too seriously I understand that the premise of it and everything we're discussing is a little bit pretentious and I try to have fun with that well, awesome uh, for me uh, follow me at Fujihaya on Twitter if you Follow me, you see my stuff I do with Everything Elite. There's the Patreon there. Just go to my Twitter account. It has everything there. I write rarely for Voices of Wrestling, but there might be a piece coming up about Pac in 2019 that I really have formulated in my head. I just have to find the time to do so. But that's going to do it here for this episode of Open the Voice Gate. We will be back with you in a couple weeks before the end of the year. And until next time, take care. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.